That song, written by Martin Luther, who helped ignite the Protestant Reformation by nailing 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany in 1517, declaring that the just shall live by faith, spent most of the rest of his life on the run from the church at Rome. The last line of that song, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. In other words, the world can take you out and God's truth will still go on. Do you believe that today? Sometimes it's hard to believe in the world in which we live and we see violence all around us. We see our brothers and sisters in Christ persecuted day after day. But God tells us and He reminds us where the victory is. The victory is in the Lord and one day He will have the last word. Now I want to invite you this morning as we consider this passage of Scripture, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, would you focus your attention on God's Word? Because I need you to pay attention to this passage today. It's often a, a difficult passage of interpretation, but I think it has application for everyone in this room. And I want you to consider the question, is there a sin that God cannot forgive? Now, don't answer that question quickly. Think about it. We know that there is nothing you can do for which God cannot totally and completely forgive. You've heard that said over and over again, that the sin of unbelief is the only thing that God will not recognize. But I think this passage of Scripture goes a little bit beyond that. Brian Fleming had a documentary in the challenge for everyone in which he said that you should deny the Spirit of God. And so he goes into a chapel, and this is what he says. He says, I deny the Spirit of God and thereby condemn myself to hell. And he issued what was known as the blasphemy challenge. He challenged atheists around the world to make a documentary or to make a video, and somewhere in that video to say the words, I deny the Spirit of God and thereby to condemn themselves to hell. And so since that documentary came out, there have been thousands of people who have uploaded these videos to YouTube and condemned and denied the Spirit of God. But I don't think Jesus is talking about mere words here. He's actually talking about much more than that. He's talking about the attitude and the condition of the heart. Look with me beginning in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 15. Jesus, being aware of how they would destroy Him, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench." Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons." Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. 
how then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit of God will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. The entire ministry of Christ is based upon the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us this from the very beginning, that when Jesus begins His earthly public ministry, when He is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, that lo, the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon Him, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately, the Spirit of God drives Jesus into the wilderness. He doesn't wander into the wilderness. He doesn't by accident end up into the wilderness. Instead, God leads Him into that wilderness through His Spirit to be, tempted, to be tempted by Satan. And so we understand that the leading of the Spirit of God is incredibly important. In fact, Jesus will refer to this in the passage from Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. And so the Father delights in the Son at His baptism and He's well pleased at His transfiguration. I will put my Spirit upon Him and He will proclaim justice to the nations. Reminding us that there is a day coming when God will bring justice to the fatherless and when He will plead the widow's cause, when justice will flow down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, Amos tells us. And in a world where often the one who gets the most attention is the loudest one in the room, it is not so the way of Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. And notice this, and in His name talking to Jewish people, and in His name, the Gentiles will hope. Because His name represents both His identity and His mission, who He is and what He's about. Christ is not merely the last name of Jesus. Instead, it is a title. It is indicative of what He has been sent to earth to do as the Messiah, as the Redeemer. Now you have to understand, the ancient world was an incredibly superstitious society. Some of you, maybe you have pregame rituals before your favorite team plays. I don't know what you do. When Kentucky plays in the tournament, I've got a pair of shorts that uh, I don't wash. And I wear these shorts. And when I wear these shorts, we win. And if I don't wear these shorts, we lose. So you better be thankful for these guys. Some of us have different rituals that we have. But in the ancient world, everything was superstitious. They didn't just have one God, they had hundreds of gods. So they had a God for when they went to work. They had a God of the sunshine and of the rain, of, of everything. And they, they worshipped all these gods. And what was unusual to them was when the Jewish people declared that there is one God. Just one. They said, why don't you hedge your bets? And in the middle of that superstitious society, demonic activity was seen as very 
real, and they begin to accuse Jesus of something here. Apparently someone's demon-possessed. He's deaf, he's mute, he can't hear, can't speak. He's possessed by a demon, and Jesus heals him. And rather than rejoice like the crowd does when they say, is not this the son of David? Is not this the son of righteousness with healing in his wings? Instead, the Pharisees do the opposite. They refer to him as Beelzebul, who is the ruler of demons. And the Pharisees accuse Jesus, rather than being from God, of being from Satan. Jesus breaks down that argument pretty well. He says, look, why would Satan work against himself? He'd be forfeiting his control. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan. You can't correct error by violence. You can't overcome hate by hate. There was a recent satirical article that came out this past week that said Al-Qaeda has decided to sit back and watch the United States self-destruct and implode from within. There's a tragic irony there, is there not? But it doesn't make sense if someone wants to conquer to divide among themselves. And Jesus says it's the same thing going on with Satan. The worst thing that could happen would be the demons to be divided among themselves. He says that's not actually what's taking place. But then he said, if it is not by demons, but rather if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast them out, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And Jesus says something to them that you and I really need to pay attention to. He says the problem that the Pharisees have is not really with Jesus, but with the Spirit of God. Later on, he's going to say, speaking in absolutes, whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me is the one who scatters. In a world in which there is no absolutes, Jesus makes it pretty clear, black and white, He who believes on me is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already because we were by nature the children of wrath. We were the enemies of God, separated from God. And God in His mercy has reconciled us, brought us back into Himself through Jesus Christ. But the default position of God towards sinners is anger and is justice apart from Christ. And He uses this word blasphemy against the Spirit. Now, What is blasphemy? Sometimes we make light of that. You know, sometimes Rob will say to me that UofL is going to have a better season than UK, and I'll say, look, man, that's blasphemy. That's wrong. You can't speak that way. But the blasphemy referred to in the Old Testament is a little bit different. Numbers chapter 15 and verses 30 and 31 brings this out. It's a deliberate, defiant sin against God and His ordinances. Here's what the Scripture says. The person who does anything with a high hand, that is intentionally, whether he's native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken His commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off His iniquity shall be on him. And so we know the Spirit of God is upon Jesus' ministry. He's there even from the beginning. The Spirit of God hovers upon the face of the water. God breathes into man the breath of life through His Spirit. We see in Ezekiel how God is bringing these dead men's bones back to life through the power of His Spirit. He's there at the baptism of Jesus, descending like a dove. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who comes to Him by night, Nicodemus, you can feel the wind blow And you can sense that it comes, but you cannot tell the direction that it takes, where it comes, where it goes. That is the voice of the Spirit of God. And unless you are born of water 
natural birth and the spirit, spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so that's the work of the Spirit of God, and working against the Spirit of God leads to blasphemy. See, here's the irony. The Pharisees cry out blasphemy, but Jesus tells them that their charges against Him are the real blasphemies. The things for which they are accusing Him are actually the signs that He's the one sent from God. And by calling God's work Satan's work, they dishonor the Spirit of God. By rejecting the work of God, they end up rejecting the very faith that they profess. They no longer hear the voice of God calling them to repentance. Can you hear the argument of the Pharisees who grew up in church, who knew the Scriptures, who knew how things were supposed to be, and Jesus comes along and flips the script on them. Can you hear what they said to Him? We've never done it that way before, Jesus. You need to check it out. Jesus, you need to stick around here a while before you say something. But there's a deeper problem than that, isn't there? Because whenever you think that your word is more important than God's word, you are in a very dangerous position. I've heard people say sometimes, I can believe what the Bible says as long as it agrees with me. (laughs) Well, great, I can too. He goes beyond this. Isn't it tragically ironic that the ones who are closest to Jesus' ministry are often the very ones who miss His message? They see it. They hear it. But they don't understand it. And my fear is this morning that some of us, while condemning the Pharisees, are really not that far off from where the Pharisees are being accused. See, when you challenge the role of God in your life, you are doing a similar thing to what the Pharisees did. You're closer to them than what you care to admit. And this battle between Jesus and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, isn't so much an argument, but a symptom of something that's larger, this cosmic spiritual warfare being waged behind the scenes. It's been there since the beginning when Satan is trying to do everything he can to disrupt the work of God. He does it at the fall. He does it when Herod slaughters the babies trying to take out Jesus the Christ. He does it at the temptations when he tries to lead Jesus away from the mission that God has for him. And here he is, right in the place where the church is supposed to be, taking the people who are supposed to make up the church out of the picture. Dividing the people who are supposed to be on the side of God. There's been a lot of debate over just what it is that is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I confess to you, this is something I've been dealing with for a couple of decades. When I was about 10 years old, I remember J. Harold Smith. Anybody know the evangelist J. Harold Smith? Some of you all might. He passed away several years ago. He was a real well-known evangelist among Baptists. He had a really well-known sermon called God's Three Deadlines. And he would come and preach that sermon every single year at my home church and I got saved four or five times after listening to that sermon. You know, I wanted to make sure I had some insurance. And there were some other, there were some deacons that got saved too. I mean, all these guys who would come forward because you wanted to, to make sure. He's just very powerful, very persuasive preacher. But one of those three deadlines he had 
was the blasphemy of the Spirit of God. And he would say, I'm here to tell you that I have never seen anyone live 24 hours after denying the Spirit of God. So as a 10-year-old, I would go home and we say, okay, I can't deny the Spirit of God. And you know how you keep thinking about something you're not supposed to do, and it's in your head, and it's in your head all this time. And so in my head, the words are, I deny the Spirit of God, I deny the Spirit of God, I deny the Spirit of God. I'm trying to move it out there. And then I begin to realize that God knows not only my words, but He also knows my thoughts. And I wonder, is God hearing those thoughts that I'm not trying to say, but keep popping into my mind? And am I in trouble? So I got out a clock. And I looked to see just how long it was before 24 hours passed up. It was a scary period. Some of y'all think I'm crazy. I, I agree with you 100%. But I would rather be on that end of the perspective than on the other end where I never think about this at all. Because Jesus tells us that in order for someone to deny the Spirit of God, it's not something that you just would do one time. It's not something that you even do willfully working against God's work. We know that Paul did that. He was killing Christians before he became a believer, and God used him in a tremendous way. It's not simply saying, I deny the Spirit of God, and saying that out loud. Peter does that. He denies the Lord three times, and yet God takes a hold of him and uses him to help spread Pentecost. Instead, it's, it's something deeper where I think that I've made a profession of faith. I think that I have a knowledge of God. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And I end up denying the work of Jesus. Have you heard atheists who do this from time to time? Somebody said an atheist is always trying to deny the Spirit of God, but it's, it's a little bit deeper than that because this is apparently someone who has acknowledged God. And they'll say, well, Christianity is responsible for all the major evils in the world. You heard somebody say that? I would love to see what the world looks like apart from Christianity. Can you imagine? But he says it's this person who knows about God, who acknowledges the existence of God, but who doesn't think they need Jesus and goes a step further than that and says the work of Jesus is actually the work of Satan. He's talking to people who are not believers. But I don't want us to think that God gets us off the hook here. See, the temptation for us on the Baptist side, on the Protestant side of things, is to hear that phrase, once saved, always saved, and to think that it's a blank check. The phrase, once saved, always saved, is never in the Bible. Now it talks about God keeping you, those who are truly His, but it says there's also going to be an evidence in your life that you are in Christ. And the Scripture says over and over, let a man, let a woman examine themselves to be whether they're truly a part of the faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you're not checking up to say, where are my affections? Where is my heart? You may be surprised that you could be a candidate for denying the Spirit of God one day. He said, I would never do such a thing. Do you think any of these Pharisees who were looking for the Messiah ever thought that they would deny Him? Ever. They thought they were doing the right thing. And how easy it is in a world in which we live to completely miss out on checking our spiritual state. Because if you don't desire the things of God, one of two things have happened to you. 
Either you've gotten so caught up in the world that you no longer sense His presence, or you never knew the Lord in the first place. Because He's going to go on to say that you will bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, there are many things that will compete for your affection today. If you are going after lust day to day, that will kill your desire for God. Seeking after a relationship and hoping that that will take the place that only God can take will kill it too. Being out for money, being out to fill your calendar with all kinds of events, there are all kinds of things that compete for this. And what Satan would have you be is to think that something like this would never happen to you and that you never examine yourself to see whether or not you are truly in the faith. And the consequences are very severe. He says, look, whosoever, in verses 31 and 32, whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So he says, for some people, there just comes a point where they are so hardened against the things of God, they have denied Him by their word and by their action. They have even accused Him of being demonic from Satan, not from God, that they no longer hear the still small voice. They no longer hear the one who stands at the door and knocks and bids you to eat with Him. And so He calls us to something. He reminds us on the other end of this, to as many as received Him, there is hope. But let us never get to the point that because we think we know about God, because we have made a profession, or we've walked an aisle, or we've done something at vacation Bible school, or we've put something in the offering plate, or we've had a history of our family professing faith, that that means we're somehow exempt. He says, examine yourself. And if your affections and your hearts are not desiring the things of God, there is something seriously wrong. Because the true believer will not be apathetic about Jesus. He will rejoice. She will have joy. They will desire to share and to pray and to gather together in His house. And while many of us may never even think about recording a video that denies the Spirit of God. What a tragic thing it would be if by our lives we end up doing the exact same thing so that there comes a point where one day we consider God's work, Satan's work, and we no longer hear His voice. And He says you have to be in tune with who the Spirit of God is. And He calls you unto Himself. I'm going to ask you to be with Let's bow our heads for a second, for a moment. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.